This is John. And this is Trav. Tonight we are going to speak about Bureau 13. We put up on our Facebook page not too long ago the question of what would be what you considered your basic loadout for your Bureau 13 character. We got some responses and they were pretty good. So we thought we'd talk about it, you know, from what we've seen and what we also personally believe. Every agent is going to have a different idea of what that is, and of course the Bureau has its own idea. Still, there are some reasons to think about it ahead of time. What Nick Pilata put in his books was that it's really important to be able to share ammo between weapons, because you never know when you're going to need every bullet you got. What other team equipment would there be? We've said vehicles of various types, Yeah, the document forger and all that it can do. Let's see, what else? Surveillance equipment. Oh yes, the surveillance drones and so forth, which we uh, we actually detailed uh, in the uh, D20 book into to great detail. In fact. And that was very good, though. Probably, as you said, there probably probably some of it needs to be even better. I was running the stalking the Steel City Pittsburgh Ripper episode, and somebody tried to launch one of the drones because they have the running ability, where you could run four times as fast as long as you're willing to take minuses to be hit and stuff like that. People were able to run faster than the drones could fly. <laughs> and one guy was sitting back in the RV thinking that he could just send a drone over and attack somebody with it, and he wasn't able to get into combat at all because of that. So I think we need to relook at that because it seems like you should be able to fire off a drone and move it around a little faster than somebody can run. A drone? The one we actually on picture of page 54. I'm talking about like one of the hover drones. Oh, hover drones. Well, hover drones are not going to move very fast. In fact, you know what? I was just at Brookstone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they had a four-prop uh, remote-controlled drone, basically, you could buy for $400. It controlled with your smartphone and have camera feedback so you can see where it's going. These various kinds of surveillance devices, they should all feed together into a, ma a massive surveillance network that could be accessed by any team member using their computer pad or whatever at all times. So everybody should be able to have access to this. I've always assumed that the team has, when they're busy working, they've been switched to continuous mode at that point. What you hear, they everyone else can hear if they want to. What you, when you talk, they hear what you say when you're talking. So you're always in con continuous communication with each other. Well, there's good and bad things about that because if you have two people who are engaging in conversations at the same time with different people, that can be very confusing. But it, that's usually hand-waved away in the game anyways, but yeah. I assume that everybody's in constant contact with each other, uh, and that's one of the functions of the cell phone was, okay, if they're out of range, it automatically is going to call their cell phone. We're still going to be able to maintain communication over any distance where connectivity exists. This also allows you to have redundancy between devices. You can have one camera that's looking at the same area and infrared while another one's using starlight, while another one's using 
some other kind of uh, thermographic. Carillion. And that way you can actually get multiple shots of the same location, which can help you also build a 3D model. And with the multiple types of vision, you can collate all your information and say, okay, heat sources are here. These are the areas where magic radiates from. That means he has items here, here, and here. Spectrographic is here. In the Colorado's windshield, you can all integrate that into one image. They have that type of heads-up display there. That's what the advantage of having all that is. You can even use it to figure out stuff about a building and other things like that, about actually doing on-the-fly analysis of building structures, looking for secret rooms and other things like that. So it's important to have all these different devices available into one communication network. I think that's underutilized. Then there's the infamous RV computer. With the way the laptops and the computers are going these days, the only thing I see with the RV computer is it's more of a recording black box device than is computing because your average laptop these days has the computing power you probably need. And if it's amped up by the Bureau, it's probably got more than necessary to deal with what you need to do. I doubt it, John. Do you think so? There's never <laughs> enough computing power, John. Okay, so the RV computer still has a job. I can see it managing the network, managing all the connections you have to handle, managing all the... Basically, it's a server. It's a server farm in a box of a one-foot cube. If you're connected to it, if your pad is connected to it, that means that it can hand off to the RV computer a lot of its processing functions. So you can get much more real-time imagery. Like I said, if you've got 20 functions running at the same time on your computer pad, it's going to slow down if you can't hand that off. Yep, that's true. Send it to the cloud, the bureau cloud. <laughs> exactly. So every RV is a little mini cloud computing system then. And it's a distributed network as well. Because that way, if one cell phone goes down, you know, as in like the monster just stepped on it, then it can be picked up by uh, any of the surrounding cell phones and you can still maintain communication. Hey, guys. Yes, sir. If you had like a bureau cell phone, could it have things like infrared vision? The camera on it certainly could. So could you use it to maybe detect vampires or undead creatures? In the case of vampires, it, it all depends on what kind we're talking about. Some vampires are invisible to any kind of recording device, which would be a good way of determining whether there was a vampire there because you could see with your eyes and not with your cell phone. Well, it means vampires are the perfect cat burglars, and they can sneak into places that use IR scanners and then never get picked up. Well, let me ask you this then. You guys know what augmented reality is, right? Yes. What if you had a camera that had an app built into it so that when you pointed it at an undead creature that was, say, room temperature, it could use the visible light to discern its shape because they have things that have, like, facial recognition. So it could determine that this was a humanoid because it has a face, but it could also determine that it's not room temperature, so it must be this kind of creature. The camera itself, the phone itself could have computing programs in it to make a lot of decisions. It could very well be this, 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 or this. And we definitely know it's not one of these, so it could start ruling things out. You know, hit it with like ultraviolet and maybe a couple other light sources that are not out of the realm of regular technology and help you determine what this thing is. On top of that, with the augmented reality and stuff, it could even... Uh, show things like if it is one of these this is things you want to look out for and and even look for them that actually sounds like a feature you'd add to the glasses basically the glasses would do an overlay mm -hmm. 
a virtual reality overlay over the situation. So yeah, it'll start picking out things saying, okay, uh, Karelian detector says this is hot, this is cold. There's great technology, and then there's this is the clue stick. Here you go, clue stick. Clue over here, clue over here, clue over here. Right. Where you're just handing over information where you're not having the players make based on the information. Well, okay, it could be this, it could be this. Let's go on this and see if that works. Yeah. You want to make it a challenge for the players. As Bruce said, something as being realistic is not fun. This is the uh, take away the fun glasses. I understand what Peter's saying, and I agree that this would be really good. I've been in favor of this kind of thing before, where if you could tag a guy with your glasses, let's say, this guy is a werewolf, and therefore it says, use silver on him. And then this guy over there is a vampire. Okay, use holy water on him. And then as the combat gets mixed up and up, your glasses will keep track by facial and body biometric recognition who's who and then when you aim at that guy it, r- it reminds you that what kind of a tactic you should be using on that guy also if you were going to try to walk through a room that was filled with ir laser beams well by this creating essentially a artificial reality glasses and you're inside that space you could literally you see your foot going up and going over that invisible line but mostly i see it as giving equipment bonuses to your spot various notice checks and possibly even if you said the glasses could process information this quickly you could say okay it's going to highlight the bad guys so when you aim at them you get a bonus because you can see the edges of their body a lot better and give you a bonus to hit it shouldn't be a game trumper so to speak bruce had mentioned surveillance equipment basically you have telescopic lenses and parabolic i want to say they're parabolic microphones where you point it at a particular thing, and it just picks up the sound as if you're right next to it. It's got a dish behind it that collects sound over a wider area and concentrates it down to one spot. Those would be devices that your listen and spot checks are a minus one per 10 feet away. Those would greatly enhance possibly to a factor of 100, so it'd be like minus one per 100 feet away. So, yeah, your spot penalties and listen penalties would be much less with these devices. I don't know what the ruling is for notice skill on uh, Savage Worlds. As again, I'm not familiar with that, that particular game engine. But for D20, it would be minus one per probably 100 feet for those type of surveillance devices that you would use while spying on somebody. Besides that, you also have various other drones. The robot mice. You get a robot squirrel. It runs out there and sits next to somebody. He's got a microphone built into him, picking all that stuff up. We've got PL7 technology. Autonomous robots are quite possible with that little technology. Or at least very lightly programmed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, information overload. That's something they've been doing with fighter pilots. They've been actually reducing the amount of information they're getting when they're in combat situations because there have been situations where they just freeze because there's too much information coming in so that's one way as a gm to solve this problem is that if the person starts turning on all the features just flicking out all the features of the glasses at once they may have to start making some sort of wisdom save will save a will save not to get overloaded pulling the glasses off and throwing away because there's too much stuff coming through what do we say in my campaign whenever Somebody activates detect magic and it's like an artifact level because you see the light. It's like, oh, little town of Bethlehem. You know, just <laughs> it's blinding. 
Well, I think the reason even is rules for detect magic. If you if you see something that's more than a certain power level above yours, you're like stunned for one d four rounds. You take off the curly goggles and you just have this skull cracker of a headache. You're going, oh man, that's a powerful weapon. These glasses have the Douglas M don't panic feature and just go completely black. Yeah, what is it? Danger resistant lenses. Yeah. Yeah. In my campaign, we referred to this as plugging into the sun. <laughs> I like. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> Usually okay. followed by destruction of the piece of equipment in question. Just melts it. Yeah. Yeah. What other team things would we have? The weapons locker. In a non-13 pocket, you know, I hate to say the trunk of a car, you can store extra weapons in there. You know, that's where your log goes. That's where your RPG, your, your rocket-propelled grenades go. And I'm reminded of the Mummy Returns where he unsnaps that leather flap and he's got about four or five guns. You want the shotgun? No, I think I'll take the Thompson. <laughs> you got your weapons locker. If you got the RV, you definitely got weapons locker. That's also where you store your combat armor. This is the stuff that you definitely need the uh, the feet to use. This is the stuff that will stop rifle rounds, not just pistol rounds. One of the biggest shared items is going to be the Bane creation devices. Ah, yes. You're going to need a lot of space to work with a lot of different materials and compounding and packing them into shells. and That takes a lot of space, and you can't do that probably in anything less than a van or the RV. probably requires you to have a, a knowledge gunsmith skill. They just love that in the knowledge mechanical. Okay. Yeah. Knowledge yeah. mechanical is to make de uh, mechanical devices, armor and weapons, yeah. If all you're doing is dropping some grains of propellant into a cartridge and then fitting a specialized bullet on the top of it and, and putting it in the machine and pressing it down with the right pressure, it really isn't that tactical. We're not talking huge skill here. We're not talking about making the bullets. It's definitely a take 10 or take 20 thing, you know, depending on what it is. Now, making the bullets, I think that is an area where it it's kind of falls into the arcana check. Yeah. yeah. Do I actually have Wolf's Bane that was cut by a virgin with a silver scythe? Or do I have something that someone use a pair of rusty scissors to cut and they have three kids? You know, that kind of purity is important, too. Was this simply swiped off the side of a plate at Shoney's? Oh, it's parsley. Yeah. parsley. <laughs> that's not to say that won't work. Because when they talked about the kitchen witches, that's one of their, their deals, is they use common items in exchange for some of the more arcane things. They can't do as much with them, but they're, they have a lot more flexibility at getting basic results than somebody who's this really powerful arcane mage who has to have, as you say, some virgin processed ancient herb. So sometimes impure banes are better than no bane at all. Colorado RV is the trauma center, or at least the trauma kit. There's an item that is not in the RV, which I put into the Stocking the Still City supplement that I always thought should be standard for the RV, and that's the bio bag. The bio bag, it looks like a coffin. It's a device whose job it is to keep your brain alive. You come in with an arm ripped off and you're self-gutted by some monster. They take you, they throw you into this thing. You clamp an artificial blood material through, some, through tubes into your carotid 
your carotid arteries and jugular veins, and this thing just keeps your brain going, and the rest of your body is cooled just above freezing. Put it into complete suspension. They lock that down. They just leave you in there until they can get you back to the Bureau for some real help. It had a relatively low requirement as far as being able to do this. It would probably be a DC-15 under treat disease to stabilize somebody in this biobag. I put it in the space that was underneath the bed in the original Colorado RV. Because people die, especially in the D20 modern, when you have the massive damage rule. You fail that fortitude check and bam, you're negative one dying if you're not dead already. And this would say if you catch somebody just as they die, no matter whether they went to negative 50 in the last round or not, you could take them and shove them in this thing and there would be a good chance of them be resuscitated later. Now, be honest, all you really need is the head. Bureau does have the ability to clone your new body. It just takes time. What makes you say that, John? PL7 technology. Trav, is that PL7 technology? Cloning from a head? Well, let me... I think it was. I thought it was. D20 future tech. Uh, Yeah, if you're going to have these things, one, rare. Two, pricey. I also would say you have a five-minute window from the time the person's head comes off. If you're still breathing when they shove you in this thing. Oh, yeah, if you see a body, yes. If you're just a head. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Cloning, because I have other third-party D20 stuff, I would say yes, definitely. PL6 is where cloning humans begins. So by PL7, you've got it down. So, yeah, you could clone a whole body from just the head because you already have a brain and part of the stem. From stem cells, from what I understand of stem cell research, from a stem cell, you can pretty much clone any part of the body. So, yeah, PL7, boom, you could get a new body, but it would still be expensive and rare. The Bureau would not just be saying, oh, three members of your team died. Oh, yeah, we've got it. You'll you'll have them all in a day. It will take time and resources. And the reason why I say you need the head is that, well, memory taping doesn't exist. So, sorry, if your head gets mushed, you're dead. And the bio bag is still important because it is keeping that brain alive. We're not talking about freezing the head and then thawing it out later. That's not cloning anymore. When you get cloned, you're not getting your body back. You're getting a body back that has their exercise in the day of his life. John, it all depends on how they do it. I think time will be the big payment. Yeah, time would be a big payment, but... I mean, unless you're doing it through one of those little time-shifted pockets, you're going to be out of action for considerable time. Yeah, this would be the chance to get the backup character out, yeah. Yeah. The bio bag would facilitate where, okay, you've been hurt really bad, you're spending time rehabilitating whatnot, yeah. 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 This would also be important if you were poisoned. yes. If you can't neutralize the poison, then getting your brain separated from your circulatory system where that poison is flowing would be a good idea. Of course, that could be a wonderful plot hook at that point. I mean, a great little game off of that where the poison changes your physiology to the point where you, your car doesn't work anymore. It doesn't recognize you anymore. And you're dying. So now you got to find that antidote to get yourself back normal again before you die so you don't actually get to use the bio bag to rescue, to save yourself. It'd be a plot point. It'd be a... Uh, Wait a minute. 
You're assuming a normal poison. What about like a uh, magical poison? This poison doesn't just affect you. It affects your soul. So for you to transfer over to another body, uh, you'd have to find some kind of solution because it would actually take it with you no matter where you went. Your soul is still going to go with your mind. Your curse. Yeah, you have a curse, basically. You could have poisons and stuff, but you also got to remember that no matter what anyone does... I mean, this doesn't even have to be a poison. This could just be somebody stabs you with some kind of spiritual weapon or something, and the damage isn't to you, per se. It's to your essence or whatever. You always got to watch that. They stab you with a ring race knife and break the tip off. Something like that. That sounds like um, ability drain, then. Because if you're attacking, like, the soul, that's wisdom or charisma, usually. That would be a drain attack. This isn't just some thing that characters can use to, you know, get out of jail free type of thing. They can't always go, well, I've got a clone, so I'm okay. You always have ways around that. It's not always a, just a get-out-of-trouble-free type of thing. Considering how much damage supernatural creatures can dish out, having something like this that could you know, take your fallen team member and give them a chance of coming back is, I think, a good idea. The last thing I would say would be a good supply of pharmaceuticals. Of not necessarily for healing, but like the memory drugs. Yeah. Side deadeners. Side deadeners and amnesia. Yeah. Anti-lycanthropic drugs. Sure. All those standard types of things. But especially the truth serums and the memory loss drugs. Unfortunately, though there's sometimes a problem with these, that's one of your best ways of getting information from people who don't want to talk to you and then covering your trail afterwards. When I mentioned that to the jetpack list, uh, monkeys took my jetpack. They didn't want to use the amnesia drug. They were just uh, totally against it. So the chance they actually could hurt somebody or wipe their mind was too great. Maybe that person would see something so terrible that leaving that memory with them would ruin them. Yeah. That's the horror aspect that a lot of people don't think of when they think about Bureau 13. That there really is a reason why most people suppress their own, you know, the knowledge of the supernatural that they've seen. It's because it's bad, bad stuff in their heads. Yeah. Well, yeah, the mind often has a really good, its own way of just hiding that stuff, just blocks it out. Yeah, but if you can remove it pharmaceutically, mm-hmm. then your mind doesn't have to create these walls that kind of indiscriminately screw up other things. Yeah. Usually we don't track this sort of thing. One of the things I did like about the the mental shock things is that you could slowly degrade somebody's sanity over a long period of time, giving them quirks and other things like that. Yep. And, of course, it could happen really fast if you're running into the really bad supernatural monsters. Oh, yeah. We did get a reply on a board. George Sula, he did mention the smartphone, but one thing he put on it was a laser torch. I'm going, oh, yeah. You could put a laser on the smartphone. Wouldn't that be the basically the function of the... Cigarette lighter? Cigarette lighter? Yeah, but yeah you, I was going to say. Yeah, but you also get the cigarette lighter, too, because cigarette lighter is, your, is more, more disposable than your cell phone because you can also use it as a bomb. The problem about creating a laser pointer and uh, things like that is that there's always going to be a conversion of energy issue. Yeah. I mean, unless you totally hand wave this away as a magical device, uh, something that can blow a hole through something is going to produce a prodigious amount of energy, which is really kind of bad for computer chips and other things that might be in your Corellian, uh, in your phone. Yeah. 
So that's one reason why we like it in the cigarette lighters because you know if the thing gets too hot to handle, you just drop it. He also mentioned uh, a multi-tool, a silver-plated multi-tool. Oh, like a Gerber multi-tool. Heck, I got back pocket here. Let me tell you all that it's got on it. Let me get it here. Okay, we have three-inch ruler mark, and I believe, yeah, centimeters as well. It's got pliers. It has, oh, let's see, a leather punch, a regular head, Phillips head, a file, a serrated edge. Oh, yeah, it's got a whole bunch of stuff. You might get a plus one bonus to, like, craft and repair and disable device skills with a multi-tool, but still, it's better than nothing. Yeah, and I've seen much more, much more uh, outlandish and, and complex multi-tools, too. I've seen one that actually had a hacksaw attachment for it. Oh, okay. You can get really ridiculous with your multi-tools to the point where they make a Swiss Army life look silly. Yeah. He also mentioned a chemical testing gear. Sometimes you need that because sometimes that supernatural event is not supernatural. It may just be funny gases coming from the ground making people see funny things. And having a chemical testing, testing kit is not a bad idea to have. Chemical testing kit. Be a little more specific. I mean, that could be you know, litmus strips. Well, he just put down chem testing gear. So I'm not sure what he meant by that, but that could be everything up into one of those little CSI uh, air scanners they have. Beep! Oh, look, potassium and butane and other things. Over 10 years, if not 15 years ago, they showed on uh, the uh, cutting edge, there was, a, there was a television show, this guy had a briefcase-sized analyzer where you could take a liquid or a gas, uh, and therefore you could take a, a, a solid that had been liquidized, whatever, and put it into this thing, and he would show you its exact chemical composition and all the different things that were in it, and almost, not completely down to its molecular structure, but he could certainly tell you all the different atoms that were there, and it did it in a very short period of time. It was just this analyzer was hooked up to a computer, and it would display the results on the computer. That sort of thing was available 15 years ago as a prototype. I'm sure that this sort of thing should be easily available to bureau agents, and it would probably be about the same size, too, because instead of making it smaller, they would probably increase its functionality, make it more reliable, make the database bigger of all the different substances it could be. And we've totally forgot a forensics kit. Isn't that what we're just talking about here? No, forensics, as in fingerprints, stuff like that. Was there blood here? Use the magic ultraviolet light, and hey, look, there's blood here. Fingerprint powder and brushes and things to lift the prints. Yeah, I took criminalistics classes, and I, I was going for a criminal justice major. So, yeah, having all the stuff to lift fingerprints and maybe some plaster of Paris to get footprint casts. Alginate and stuff like that. Watch CSI. You see what I was saying when I buy a forensics kit. And you watch CSI. It's a great science fiction show. <laughs> but wait a minute. We're Bureau 13, so we can take it a step further. You got luminol, right? which is that the liquid that they spray out. But imagine mist luminol, which can detect uh, vampire blood or lichen blood. There are some separate things from it. Like, for example, here, here you go. Imagine you've got uh, a lichen luminol, which would be just like luminol, except it would have like some kind of silver particles in it or something. So when you spray it on it, not only does it glow, but it sparkles when it glows. 
because the silver is dissolving the lichen blood. For vampire luminol, actually, you still use silver uh, in many in many of uh, traditions. Silver still hurts vampires, so you can probably still use silver. Well, well sure, sure, but but you know what? I, you know where I'm going with this. You have ichor luminol. Ichor luminol, right, right. It wouldn't be out of the question to, to be able to have some kind of spray to determine what was there. You know, it's like, oh, there's blood everywhere. It's like, well, you know, let me check out and see what kind of blood we've got going on here to determine the different kinds of blood. When Jimmy Hoffa's car was found, oh, blood all over the back seat. It was a simple anti-serum. Okay, it could be human blood. Let's try these different serums. They did fish serum. They found out it reacted as if it were fish blood. So they said, basically, somebody took a bunch of fish blood and splattered it all over the back of Hoppe's car. The Bureau would have that stuff where it would be so concentrated that you could carry it all in a kit and have it for vampires, lichen, fey. If you get a sample on a swab, you put it into a little tube, put a drop of this liquid, if it's human, it turns red. Well, you can have it for if it's lichen, it turns red. If it's vampire, it turns red. If it's... Some big creature from the deep, it turns purple. That briefcase analyzer probably does all that. Instead of just making it smaller, it increases the number of things it can detect and analyze. And includes forensic as well, combining technologies. It's in one box. So you're saying it's like a chemistry dock box, in other words. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing it all going toward, John, because you'd have... And, and I'm, I'm reaching back into my criminal justice days here. A gas chromatograph, a spectrograph. You're going to need stuff to do the toxicology stuff, you know, like for the, the luminols to find out what type of blood stuff is. Lift fingerprints. I had to do fingerprint analysis. This was back when you still did it by eye before you had the big or when the big databases were just starting. You had to do five points of similarity and no dissimilarities between two fingerprints. You find any dissimilarity... Not a match. Trust me, you get headaches from it. You need to have something in this, uh, a a computer that would hook it to the database. You take the fingerprint, you collect it, you put it on a slide, you slip it in there, and it automatically transmits it to, okay, we've got fingerprint match within, you know, 10 minutes. It goes to the FBI database and whatnot. Yeah, it goes to CODIS and a few others out there, yeah. It also has the different fingerprint powders. They actually now have several kinds of fingerprint powders for different material, for different surfaces. Yeah, because we had to do them for skulls, we had to do it for wood, we had to do it for metal, we had to do it for plastic. I forget, there was a magnetic powder that you had to use, and I forget what it was. I think that was when you are trying to pick up a fingerprint off something metal. You had a magnetic powder, and it would stick to the oils that you leave behind. And then there's the one where you basically put into a into a chamber and you evaporate uh, super glue, and it'll stick to the oils left from the skin. It's a whole kit. It's a whole little CSI lab in a box. Yeah, CSI dock box. Yep. So basically, the dock box would give you an equipment bonus for figuring out who was there. Investigate, search, knowledge, physical sciences, and earth life sciences would be also augmented by this thing. It would also have its own supply of banes, too. So we could apply banes to various substances to see whether or not they reacted. Ah, yeah. Okay. What about defenses? Defenses on the vehicles. you got the Colorado RV has a lot of defenses built into it. I, I would imagine all the defenses in the Colorado RV are standard, while the weapons are optional. So the oil slicks, the, the CS projectors, the, the tear gas, the, the tear gas vomit, the 
BZ gas projectors. Calf trips that shoot out the back. Electrified surface for the squids. What about UV lights? External UV lights? Uh, What would you use them for? In some mythologies, vampires are affected by UV light. Okay, yeah, so UV lights, yeah. You saw the movie Troll Hunter. You know, the trolls could be turned to stone with. Well, also in Blade, in the Blade series, UV lights affected vampires. Right, exactly. As that, um, in Underworld, because under ultraviolet radiating bullets took down vampires. So, yeah, we have sure. that. And, guys, let me ask you this. What are your feelings on silver affects werewolves, and in some mythology, silver affects vampires? The reason for this is because silver has always been traditionally the metal of the moon, right? It's also because it's a material that's used highly in religious items, especially crosses and other things. It's a more holy metal than, let's say, gold or other things. Yeah, reflected purity. One of the things that we've discussed before, and and I don't know that we've ever used any of our games or or whatever, but but a couple of us have discussed that, you know, if silver is the metal of the moon, which seems to be, that comes from mythology. I mean, that's not something I'm making up. I've never uh, heard of it before, Blix, so, uh, but go really, ahead. You really? You, you, no, well, okay. Never. Silver, because the moon is silvery colored, and the reason why it's good against werewolves is because they get their, sort of get their power and their transformative abilities from the moon, and that's why silver works against them, because it's the metal of the moon. One of the other things is that, and this is in mythology as well, uh, I think it's Mayan, but gold is the metal of the sun. You know, because the sun is golden color. And one of the things we've played around with, the idea of, but we've never actually used, I think is underutilized, which would be kind of neat, would be gold affecting vampires the way silver affects werewolves. And it wouldn't be overpowering because you know, gold's not cheap. Imagine somebody firing gold bullets at vampires. And gold's really soft. It has lousy penetration capabilities. You'd have to, you'd have to jacket it. You'd have to jacket it. That's fine, but imagine... It hits a vampire just like lead does to a human being, spreads out and does all kinds of nasty damage. That's possible. I mean, that's definitely something to, to consider. As we said, it's up to really up to the GM to decide: is gold a bane for vampires, or is it still silver? Well, that's why I'm throwing it out on on this podcast. You know, let's say you're a game master and you know you're thinking, "Why well, I do want some kind of metal or whatever to affect vampires," and, and you played around with the idea of silver the way some mythology does. You always have another option. You could use gold. I'm pretty sure it's Mayan, but it's viewed as the metal of the sun. It's, it's actually Mesoamerican, but... Right. Then again, gold is not the greatest thing in the world to use as a weapon because it's so soft. You'd have to work with how to incorporate it. Gold-plated bullets. In that case, I would do a flip on that. Instead of uh, making bullets, I'd go the opposite route. i learn my archery skill. Make a bow with, was it oak or ash? What's preferable for steaks? Oak or ash? I can't remember. I think it's ash. With ash milled dowels with gold-plated heads on the arrow. The wicked heads, the kind you can't pull out once they go inside. <laughs> barbed, yes, barbed. And use that on a vampire. It still works. Up, up to the point vampires realize they can, use, they can wear armor. Yeah, you can carry a lot of bullets in the amount of space it would take you to carry one arrow. That's true. But they are quieter. I'll grant them that. Inject them with some Goldschlager. <laughs> that or you modify your Bane projection system so it has a soft load 
and it's a gold-plated wooden stake. You're firing out of that Bane weapon. I've never seen that anywhere, but I, I don't see why it wouldn't work. It, it holds the same logic as silver for uh, werewolves. Hmm. We did talk about vehicles, but maybe we just talked about cars and the RV. If you need to go cross-country, getting a flight, the Bureau Charter, or do you take that right-hand turn and go through Bangor, Maine, and come back out someplace else two hours later? I just go to a nearby big airport and find some guy and charter a plane. I mean, I've never had a problem with that. Maybe I'm wrong, but it always seemed to me like getting someone to fly you somewhere really wasn't a big problem. There may be a beer-preferred charter system. You never know. There may be an airline that you're on the universal exports list, aren't you? Okay, well, yeah, we can get you a charter. <laughs> There's the preferred charter because the bureau's got a contract with them. You just got to make sure you give enough time to get a, get a flight together at that point. What do you mean we're sitting in back with the chickens? Hey, we're heading to Poughkeepsie. <laughs> Being ex-military, I know that you also can get a Mac flight. As long as you are willing to pretend to be military, you know, people who actually can get a Mac flight. That would be another way of getting from one place to another place without uh, going through a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, customs and stuff like that. If you can uh, do it, that's one of, the, it says one of the advantages of having a regional team, is you can have your own jet plane sitting there waiting to take you wherever you want to go. As long as you have, of course, somebody to be a pilot. Perhaps even an NPC. The two other things that I would say would be really important would be, one would be a gas mask, so that when you get into situations where you want to use all these various kinds of gases, or they're used against you, you have protection. The second thing would be, I really like various forms of grapple guns. Either the uh, urban grapple gun that was also in the Stocking the Steel City supplement that glued itself to the side of a building, or the more traditional grapple firing weapons. When you're in a situation and it goes bad, it's really great to be able to push a button and have yourself get reeled up a couple hundred feet above monsters that might be trying to attack you. Okay, Batman. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Most monsters don't have the ability to fly. Yeah. And for those who do, you just gave them a, a pinata to play with. But anyway. <laughs> you know, nothing is a perfect solution. That's true. Getting the high place... A lot of times can give you a big tactical advantage. Mm -hmm. We talked about silencers before this began on weapons. But, you know, if you're firing a gun from a mile away, you really don't have to worry about your target hearing it. Anyway, they'll hear the bullet before they hear the, they hear the gun. Most sniper weapons are supersonic, so, yeah. Well, and when it comes to gas masks, you, you can have as, as simple as the bat rebreather. You stick over your face and that's it. To a full bore exopack from Avatar to cover your entire head and face. Uh, and I would put that into the individual equipment that I think that all team members should have something. They would probably go with the little air rebreather just first, you know, getting around things like uh, tear gas yeah. and smoke, just be able to breathe or again, running into a fire. Because well, fire happens a lot when you start getting into monster fighting because secondary damage, collateral damage, has a tendency to break things and start fires. Having been tear gassed while in the military, you want a full face cover for tear gas. Yeah, you need something for the eyes and the nose and the mouth and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for most nerve gases, you need full body coverage. You need a hazmat suit.
that gets absorbed through the skin. You're dealing with nerve gas. If you aren't prepared for that, you're dead anyway. So, yeah. That's where you need that little thing where you press the button and it gets zipped up a couple of hundred feet. Because most gases like that cling to the ground. That's true. Be like, I remember my grapple gun. See you, team members. Ah. <laughs> this looks like a time for me to be someplace else. Yeah. Well, and also the one that's in the bureau listed in the bureau handbook uh, says it'll lift seven hundred pounds. So you know you can take your friends with you. Who's your friend? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a regular belt, but it's actually made out of reinforced Kevlar with a steel webbing inside. It can support seven hundred pounds. Oh yeah, click the grapple gun to that. Click my friends to my belt, to my, I was in my belt, and then use that to go up. <laughs> and it, it can be used as a weapon, too. If the thing's be on Kevlar with, ste- with steel inside, that's going to hurt if you hit somebody with it. Probably not non-lethal damage, but it's enough to give you something to fight with. Anything else, guys? What about, like, some kind of um, supernatural interrogation kit? For example, you arrive on the scene... And, you know, you're talking to people, and you suspect that they may not be humans. You mean a holy waterboarding kit? Well, I'm just saying, oh, <laughs> nice, nice. But, but, but no, well, kind of like that, John, but what, what I'm thinking is, is, is would there be some kind, of, uh, some kind of kit that you could bring along that you could test for things? Silver nitrate liquid that you could, you know, you could just put a drop on someone's hand and then it burns them and be like, oh, you're liking Wear a silver ring. Shake their hand. Right. Shake, shake their hands. Some kind of psychic litmus paper or something that you could wave around in the air and tell if there was a ghost there. Yeah, eat garlic, and if the guy really recoils as if in pain, oh, he might be a vampire. Yeah. Well, there's so many monsters in the Bureau 13 universe that I doubt if such a thing could possibly exist. Remember, all stories are yeah. true. Yeah. You could have a kid of, like, Big Five. There is no Big Five, Blix. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We did talk about bringing along an analyzer that could take samples at the crime scene and analyze for all kinds of different things like vampires, and it would actually have some banes in it. As far as just coming up and saying, you know, hi, I've got like different kinds of banes painted on the ends of my fingernails. Let me scratch your arm and see if there's a reaction by any of them. I think that's one of those things where if you knew ahead of time there was a really likely possibility of it being a particular kind of monster, then yeah, that would be a great thing to do. But I think that's a little bit more situational based than what we're going for. Folks, if you guys, guys and gals, have any other types of ideas that Bureau agents could have for a standard load, the Bureau 13 Yahoo group, Bureau 13 Facebook page, which is Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere, TritacGamers.com would be a good idea. Go on the forums and post suggestions on that. Fans of the TriTac podcast? Oh, yes, that one, too, on uh, Facebook. Um Comments at tritechsystems.podbean.com. Suggest that error, you know, after we put this this episode up, you know, say, oh, by the way, you know, I've listened to it and I suggest this. Feedback is always important because and in turn, it helps us build better podcasts because we get to play off you guys as well. So those suggestions for giving us ideas where we might have missed in all this time. So please, by all means, reciprocate. Plus, Let hey, us know. If you guys are playing a game by TriTech that we're not talking about, let us know. 
you know, like Hardwired Hinterlands or Elf Wins or, or any of these other games out there that, that Tritech does. Weird Zone. Weird Zone. Any of the stellar games, Nightlife, Aces Agents, Aces Supers, Expendables, by all means, let us know and we'll go back and focus on, on those games, you know, in, in, in later podcasts. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.